On September 9th, uh, eight, uh, 1965, fighter pilot James Stockdale was flying his A-4 uh, Skyhawk uh, 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 fighter plane uh, over uh, North Vietnam. And he was shot down. And uh, as he was uh, coming to the ground, he was able to safely eject and parachute and land into a North Vietnamese village. Now, the bad news is he was uh, quickly arrested, and uh, Jim Stockdale would spend the next eight years of his life at the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, he would uh, become known as the, the senior most, the highest ranking POW at the Hanoi Hilton. And it might not surprise you, because he was so high up uh, in rank uh, as a Navy officer, as an admiral, admiral uh, that he was tortured, he was beaten over 20 different times. And uh, he was uh, uh, time and time again, and, and at one point in time, uh, because he refused uh, to work with the North Vietnamese propaganda machine, he actually cut his face, disfigured himself so they wouldn't put him on camera uh, to play along with what they were trying to communicate to the world. After eight years, uh, Stockdale was released, and uh, as he thought back on his experience uh, through the years, he shared uh, about his experience of being a pr at, at that prisoner of war camp. And years later, uh, he was interviewed uh, by a guy by the name of Jim, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. And he's reflecting on what it meant uh, to go through those eight years uh, of uh, surviving that POW camp. And, and Collins asks him some really good questions about how did you survive uh, those eight years in a three-foot by nine-foot jail cell with a single light bulb that was turned on all the time? How how did you survive all the beatings and all the tortures? And this is what uh, Stockdale uh, replied. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. Now, I could just stop the message right now, and that would be something really good for us to chew on, to reflect on. Uh, he never lost faith in the end of the story. He continues on, I never doubted that not only would I get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event in my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. Are you kidding me? Then Jim Collins asked Stockdale this question. You made it out. Tell me about the others who didn't make it out. And this is the answer that surprised everyone. Stockdale said, oh, that's easy. The optimists. The optimists, Jim said, what do you mean? He said, the optimists were the ones who said, we're going to be uh, out for Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then it would be Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. And then he went on to say that these men died of a broken heart. And then he restated what he meant by saying, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you cannot afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. You must never lose faith in the end of the story, but you still need to confront the brutal facts in the here and now. 
in the midst of suffering and pain. Welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Into the Wilderness. And if you've ever been uh, in the wilderness, either literally or metaphorically, you know that the wilderness is a place that's wild. It's untamed. Uh, a wilderness uh, can even be very, very dangerous. You know, on a beautiful day like today, we go out into the wilderness and it's, it's peaceful, it's calm, and it lifts our spirits and it calms our, our mind and it, it fills our hearts with just, ah, you can hear the birds singing. It's, it's such a wonderful, beautiful place today. But other times you can go into the wilderness when it's cold, when it's raining, and the winds are pounding all around, and the wilderness can be absolutely terrifying. And if you go out into the wilderness, especially after the storm, a storm, you can look up and you can see these big, massive trees um, up there, tall and proud, and they survived the storm. And then you can look around and see other trees that did not survive, that fell in the midst of the violent blowing winds of the storm. And, and sometimes when you're out in the wilderness, it, it seems so uh, cruel, it seems so indiscriminate, it seems so, uh, how, do, how, do, how does God decide which trees stand and which trees fall? Sometimes it just seems so random and we don't always understand the why uh, behind uh, what's going on in the wilderness. But the truth is, um, uh, suffering, struggle, hardship, that's part of what it means to be out in the wilderness. And that's certainly what it's part, uh, part, supposed to be about, or it's part of, of what's in our lives as well. So this weekend, as we continue on our journey in the wilderness, uh, we're going to look at the poster child uh, for the, the person in the Bible who struggled with suffering and pain uh, more than anyone, and you know exactly who I'm talking about. Of course, I'm talking about Job. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to uh, Job 1, and uh, Job is about a third of the way uh, through the Bible. And uh, let me give you just a, a little context to kind of just broad brush strokes uh, for what the theme is of Job. And, and I know you, you, you probably are at least familiar with Job, um, but Job is facing many of the circumstances that we're facing today. Disease, economic instability, and perhaps the greatest uh, parallel between Job's life and the story of Job in our lives today is this question of why. Why is all this happening? Why is there so much suffering and pain in the world? Why are we going through what we're going through right now? That's really the, the, the question that gets asked over and over uh, throughout the book of Job. Whose fault is it? Is it God's fault? Is it Satan's fault? Is, is it the fault of Job and his personal sin? I mean, whose fault is it that Job is suffering the way he is suffering? You know, it reminds me, uh, someone once asked C.S. Lewis, uh, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do good people suffer? And C.S. Lewis, was, uh, his response was brilliant. He simply said, why not? Why not? 
you know, I know that's a very uh, unsatisfying uh, response uh, to the, the question of suffering. But in many ways, those two words of C.S. Lewis summarize, sum up all 42 chapters of Job's suffering, of Job's story. Why did Job suffer? Why not? So, so if you're uh, in Job, I'm going to invite you to just uh, hold, keep your Bible there, put your finger there, uh, and we'll, we'll get to it. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for um, the beauty of nature, the beauty of the wilderness. And God, we even thank you uh, for the ways in which uh, nature uh, is so untamed and it's so wild. God, it reminds us uh, that we are not in control, but that you are, that this is your world and not ours. And we get just a brief moment to journey uh, through this life, through this wilderness with one another and with you. And so, God, as we uh, go through the book of Job now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Job 1.1. In the land of Uz, which is located uh, in modern-day Jordan today, there was a man uh, whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now we're going to just pause there for a moment because I love how this story begins. It says that Job uh, was blameless and upright. Uh, the Hebrew word here uh, for blameless and upright uh, is actually gadol, which means he was big. He was a man of, of big stature, uh, a, a man of big character. He was a man who had an extraordinary rep reputation. Um, he was uh, kind of like a sheikh, someone who everyone respected. Uh, Job was not just an ordinary man. Uh, he, was, uh, he was an extraordinary man uh, at, at every level. Uh, in fact, the King James Version says that uh, Job was perfect. And it's like, whoa, that's, that's quite a translation. I mean, this was not just an ordinary guy. Uh, he, was, he had a reputation as being a really, really good guy. Uh, it says he was blameless and upright. Now, when I was a kid, uh, we used to have a colloquial saying. We'd come up to each other and say, you the man. And then somebody would say, no, you the man. And it's the same thing. Job's the man. He's the guy that everyone's like, wow, he is an upright, upstanding guy. And why was he blameless and upright? It says that he feared God and shunned evil. He respected God. It's really that simple. That's why Job was such a, a man of incredible integrity and honor and had such an extraordinary reputation because he feared God. And God was so proud of Job because a little bit later in the story, God and, and Satan are having this conversation and God's like, man, look at Job. Just look at him. He's such a good guy. And Satan is like, ah, I don't know. Job hasn't really been tested. You know, he's had a pretty easy life. I mean, he's wealthy, you know, he's got a great family, and he hasn't really been tested. And, and, and so God says, okay, Satan, you go ahead and test him. And I don't know about you, but this is a part of the story that makes me really uncomfortable. 
I mean, can you imagine God and Satan having a conversation and God says to Satan, hey, Satan, go ahead and mess with Brian. Do what, just wreak havoc on Brian's life. Really, God? You're going to throw me under the bus with the devil? But that's what God does. He, he says to, to Satan, go ahead, mess with Job, test him. And of course, that's what Satan does. In one moment, in one day, Job's got this wonderful family. He's got a big business. Things are just humming along. They're probably eating falafel and, and shawarma sandwiches on a beautiful day like today. And all of a sudden, the news comes in that Job's business has fallen apart. He learns uh, that uh, 7,000 of his sheep have been stolen. 3,000 of his camels are gone, 500 oxen gone, 500 donkeys gone. Job's family farm business has imploded. Uh, the terrorists from another land came and took them all away. So in just like that, Job is broke. It's like, whoa, that's not good. I don't know if any of you can relate to something like that, where you get the news and all your kind of earthly possessions are just gone like that. Job's having a bad day, right? Everything is gone, but it gets even worse. Because the moment after he learns about all his livestock uh, being stolen from him, uh, there's a tornado that comes through. And Job's uh, seven sons and three daughters, they had all gathered together uh, for a party uh, in, at a place in a house. A tornado comes through and the house, the roof collapses on all of them and kills everyone. In, in, in just the next moment, all 10 of Job's children are dead. Can you imagine getting that kind of news? Now he's broke and all of his children have been killed. It's pretty horrible. I mean, as we talk about suffering and pain, I mean, it, 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 there's just not even superlatives to describe how, how Job must have felt in that moment to get that kind of news and suffering and pain. Uh, and Satan is wreaking havoc in Job's life. And so we're going to look a little bit, um, go just ahead a little bit, uh, to verse 20, uh, and we're going to look at Job's response for all that's going on here. It says, at this, at this news, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Now, in ancient Middle Eastern cultures, uh, when you would tear your clothes, and we read about this other places in Scripture, it's, it's their way of communicating uh, extreme anger, frustration, um, hurt, pain, struggle. They would, they would just literally tear their clothes to just let everybody know, around them know how angry, how mad, how hurt, uh, and how much they are struggling. And then it says, uh, he shaved his head. And again, in their culture, uh, when a man would shave his head, it was a way to communicate humility. So whenever you look at me, just think of humility. Uh, and that's what uh, you can think of Job and Job's humility. And that's what he's communicating. And then it says, and he fell to the ground. Job, he, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. 
Now this ought to tell you uh, that Job was no superhuman being. He was not some stoic guy who could just take it all. Job was like you and me, and he had just taken a gut punch, and then another gut punch, and another gut punch. And if you've ever been with someone uh, who's experienced um, such grief, such pain that their legs just buckle, and they go to the ground, uh, and, and they just sob and weep, and, and they just they kind of curl up in a ball, that's Job. That's what he's going through. He's not some superhero guy. He's just a normal guy who has had incredible tragedy uh, come upon his life. It says, he fell to the ground and he worshiped. In the midst of all this news, Job's response is heartache, pain, hurt, sadness, grief beyond what any of us can imagine, and his instinct is to worship. That's an incredible response, incredible faithfulness Job has. And then he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job loses everything. And there he is in church, worshiping God and praising. That's an incredible response uh, as we think about a, a man who has experienced so much pain, uh, the kind of pain that uh, you and I just cannot even begin uh, to imagine. So how is it uh, that some people uh, can go through life and experience extreme pain like this? And, and, and uh, how do they just, you know, stand up and say, and they just start worshiping God and giving God praise and thanks. I mean, how does that even happen? You know, the interesting thing about pain and suffering is, is they'll do one of two things. They will either drive you away from God or they'll drive you closer to God. And you probably know people who have gone through pain and suffering and they have run away from God because they're mad at God, Right. And you probably know people like that. And you can probably also think of people who have experienced pain and suffering and they've run to the cross. They've run to the feet of Jesus. Uh, they've run to God and said, God, just hold me. God, just carry me. This is what pain and suffering do is they reveal uh, and, and they invite us to go one way or another uh, with God. And, and of course, Job, he goes uh, to God and walks close to God. See, suffering uh, can either cause us uh, to become bitter in our lives. Suffering can also cause us to become better in our lives. Suffering can either uh, break your back or suffering can cause you to bend your knee. When suffering comes upon us, we respond. And that's how Job responded. And uh, we, we uh, were invited in the midst of life's storm to respond as well. Now we're going to jump ahead um, to ver uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 7, um, because uh, believe it or not, uh, things get even worse with Job. 
It's not just enough that he loses his business and uh, that he loses his children, uh, but jump to chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, there's Satan uh, in verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. From the soles of his feet to the crown of his head, which is just a, a poetic way of saying um, jo uh, Job now has sores his whole body over, uh, everything hurts, right? And so he's now been afflicted uh, with an incredible disease, and uh, he is now miserable. Things just continue to get worse and worse uh, for Job. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Now the ashes uh, is the city dump. That's the place where you would go out to burn the garbage. Uh, the ashes, the city dump, is, is the place where uh, dogs and wild animals would go and, and scavenge for food. And so Job went out to the city dump, uh, uh, and he gets a piece of broken pottery, and there he is scraping himself, his entire body, because he's got these sores, these boils over his entire body, and he itches. And, and that's kind of the picture of Job uh, that many of us have this guy who's lost everything and now he's lost his health and his he's just he's physically ill and he's miserable and there he sits at the city dump once upon a time uh, he was one of the most uh, prestigious men in the village in the city and now on this day he sits at the city dump scraping himself uh, with a piece of pottery and we think to ourselves how in the world uh, does it get any worse than this now remember job was a righteous man the story tells us from the very beginning that there was no one more righteous, no one who deserved to suffer and experience pain uh, uh, less than Job. But on the other hand, no one actually experienced pain more than Job throughout his life. It's an extraordinary uh, uh, story of, of extremes here. And But, you know, you, you think to yourself, well, at least Job still got his wife, right? It, you know, she didn't die in the, in the tornado. Uh, and so let's look what Job's wife says uh, in verse 9. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Job's wife looks at him and says, Are you kidding, Job? You ought to be shaking your fist at God. You ought to go out and give God a piece of your mind. Job, you need to just go to, to, to God and just tell him how angry and hurt you are. You need to just go and shake your fist. And, and if, and if in, in the midst of it, you just offend God, you might be lucky enough um, uh, that he'll get mad at you and he'll just squish you uh, like a grape. That's what, that's what Mrs. Job's advice was. Job, your life is so miserable, you'd be better off dead. I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh, right? I, I don't know about you, but uh, my wife has uh, told me multiple times to go jump off a cliff, and I think she was kidding. But Job's wife is like, Job, you're miserable. Your life, is it's awful. You need to just go die. You'd be better off dead. That's a pretty harsh response coming from his wife. Now I want to defend uh, Mrs. Job uh, for just a moment. Because remember, 
Uh, Mrs. Job also lost her 10 children. Mrs. Job uh, also lost uh, the family business. Mrs. Job is watching her husband uh, physically uh, from head to toe with boils and sores, and, and she's watching all this. And she's angry, and she's hurt, and she's filled with emotion. And, and I just want to remind you that if uh, in the midst of pain and suffering, someone ever comes to you and just like, ah! don't argue with them. Uh, d d don't even, uh, you know, try and reason with them. Just take it. See, in, in this moment, Mrs. Job is not thinking rationally. She's just emoting. Uh, she's, uh, you know, just kind of letting it all out. She's venting. Uh, she's uh, just kind of blasting Job in this moment for, for how she's feeling. And sometimes when we go through hard times, pain and suffering and struggle, um, that's just going to be a part of it. You know, neuroscientists tell us um, that human beings are actually hardwired uh, to experience emotion uh, before we experience logic and reasoning. So anytime external stimulus uh, comes to our body, uh, it comes uh, to, at first to the, the, the stem of the brain uh, to a place called the amygdala. And the amygdala is that part in your brain where everything first comes, and that's where our emotions are regulated. Uh, and once it, it, it passes through there, then it can get out to other parts of the brain. And, and eventually it'll find its way to the frontal cortex where we can uh, reason and, and uh, go through things logically and, and kind of talk things out. But you and I are created first as emotional beings, and secondly, uh, then as uh, thinking or, or thoughtful people. See, this is what makes us different uh, than, than animals. Uh, animals, they, they respond uh, out of that kind of that, what's called the, the, the lizard brain, the part of the brain that's the, the fight or flight. It's, it's things come in and it's just reflexively go out uh, in, in, in a this way or that way kind of way. They're not, animals don't think and reason. So when you walk into the room and and, and your dog sees you, uh, they're not thinking, oh, there he is. No, they just look at you and, and they're just, they're emoting, right? They're just like happy, 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 happy. That, that, that's, what, that's what dogs do. That's what animals do is, is they're, they're, they're primarily uh, emoting. And, and this is what Job's wife is doing. She's in this place where she cannot think clearly in reason. She's all in the emotions and everything is so raw. Everything is right there in the amygdala for Job's wife. So I just want to defend her uh, a, a little bit. But, but at the end of the day, she gives Job some um, pretty bad advice. You know, Job just, you know, just go curse God and die. Uh, but in that moment, um, you know, Job is like, well, what do I do now? I've lost my wife, too. She's not no longer on my side. Uh, uh, she just wants, tells me to take a hike here, right? And you think to yourself, well, at least Job still got his friends, right? He's still got his friends. He's got a group of friends. So let's look at verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that they came upon him, they came upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize him and comfort him. Finally, 
Finally, Job gets a little bit of comfort from his friends. And for a few days, uh, Job's friends just sit and listen to him. And it's, it's, it's such a great uh, lesson uh, that I learned in seminary in pastoral care. When someone is going through pain and suffering, show up and shut up. That, that's all you should do. When, when, when someone's going through pain and suffering, and, and maybe they're uh, emoting, maybe they're angry, maybe they're frustrated, maybe they're sad, maybe they're struggling, the last thing you and I should do is try to explain why they're going through what they're going through. Uh, you certainly don't want to quote a Bible verse to them. You don't want to say things like, well, I guess God just needed another angel. Those things, I'm just here to tell you, are really, really unhelpful. When someone is going through pain and suffering, you need to show up and shut up. Just listen and be with them. It's called the ministry of presence. You don't need to say anything profound. In fact, you can't say anything profound. That's not the time to correct people's bad theology, and they're going to have bad theology. In that moment, you just need to sit there and listen and love them and care for them and just be with them. And that's what Job's friends uh, do uh, for those uh, first few days. But at that point in time, everything uh, goes south. <laughs> because after they listen to Job uh, kind of yammer on for a while, uh, they start talking. And that's where things really go downhill between Job and his, uh, his friends. Uh, because then they start explaining why Job is suffering, and they start debating uh, with Job. And it goes on and on and on. And frankly, most of the book of, of Job, 42 chapters, is this debate, this talk, this dialogue, these armchair theologians who know so much about pain and suffering, telling Job why he is suffering. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. And you, maybe you've read parts of uh, Job where there's this, this dialogue going back and forth, back and forth. And, and, and in case you haven't, I'll just summarize it for you. Most of the book of Job, I think, could be summarized uh, in, the, in, the, in the words of uh, Charlie Brown's school teacher. It's just a bunch of nonsense. It's just a bunch of nonsense. They come and they tell him why he is suffering. And it makes absolutely no sense because they're like, Job, the reason why you're suffering is because you're really not that good of a person, which is, it doesn't make any sense because the story begins by telling us that Job actually is a very good person. Uh, he's a very morally upright person. And so it goes back and forth and it's just, it's maddening uh, to listen to these friends uh, uh, pontificating to Job about why he's such a bad person. And Job, this is why you are suffering. You know, it reminds me of, a, of another uh, philosopher, a guy by the name of Socrates. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of him. He said, you know, um, let me get the quote right here. If you get a good wife, you'll be happy. If you get a bad wife, then you'll become a philosopher. Think about that for a moment. That comes from the wisdom of Socrates. People who are miserable 
oftentimes talk nonsense, right? And that's, there's some truth in that. And that's exactly what's going on in the book of Job. All this nonsense is, is, is going on. And so by the end of the book of Job, as we're getting close to chapter 42, he's lost his business, he's lost his children, his wife has turned on him, and his friends won't stop yakking at him, telling him what a bad person he is. He's got nothing left. He's got sores all over his body. He's in pain. What do you do when you've come to the end of your rope and you've experienced suffering and pain, uh, unimaginable extreme suffering and pain? Well, of course, at that point in time, you start talking to God, right? <laughs> you're, you're out of options. <laughs> There's nobody left to talk to. And so Job and God have this wonderful conversation about life and death, about joy and happiness, and about pain and suffering. And God looks at Job. He said, Job, I made you and I love you and I created the world and I made it good. And in the midst of all the goodness, there is also bad and there is evil and there is suffering. But Job, I want to invite you to never forget the end of the story. And the end of the story is that one day you will be healed. One day you will be well. One day things are going to be better. Job, don't forget the end of the story because at the end of the story, you get to be with me for all of eternity. It's a great reminder. It's a great reminder for you and for me. And so I'm going to invite us to go to get past all the want, want, was uh, uh, throughout much of the book of Job. And this is Job's response in verse uh, chapter 42, verse 6. It says, And Job humbly repented. Job did not fully understand all the reasons why he was experiencing pain and suffering. He knew some, he kind of got it, right, more or less. But at the end of the day, Job said, I'm just going to bend my knee and repent and surrender to God. Because I can't know everything about the universe and why there is all this pain and suffering. And in that moment, Job had this incredible peace. They didn't have to know all the answers. He just needed to know enough answers. So, and, and, and he repented. And, and, and really, you know, this is the point of, of Job's life. Is that he trusted in the end of the story. Picking up in verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camel, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughter, daughters. 
and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man in full of years. You know, in all of Job's life, he never fully understood why he suffered. But he trusted in the end of the story. And in the end of the story of Job, God was indeed faithful to Job. And he, it says he blessed him even more in the second part of his life than the first part. It's, it's a beautiful uh, ending uh, to this story. And you know, to even today, here we are a couple thousand years later, we don't, still don't know all the reasons why God allows human suffering and pain in the world. But James, uh, the brother of Jesus, gives us a little clue. Uh, James, of course, watched his own brother, Jesus, hang on a cross and die and suffer for you and me. And in the book of James, this is what James writes uh, about why uh, we might be suffering. James writes this in, in, in James uh, 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. See, what James is saying is, is that when you trust and you go through these trials and struggles, it's actually going to make you a better person. And I think James is right. I think he's really on to something when we go through pain and struggle. And I want to close uh, by a quote from uh, uh, another theologian, a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. This is what he said. I believe... The hardest-hearted, most unloving Christians in all the world are those who have never had much trouble. And those Christians who are most sympathizing and loving and Christ-like are those who have had the most afflictions. The worst thing that can happen to any of us is to have our path made too smooth. I think Spurgeon's spot on. When we go through the pain, the struggle, the hardship, when we get knocked down in life, like Job, it's an opportunity to become better. Like Admiral Stockdale, to use it as the defining moment in our life. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way for us to become better human beings who God fully made us to be. And it's hard, and no one wants to go through pain and suffering. But this is the way of the world, and it's an opportunity for you and for me to grow in our relationship with God and to become more Christ-like. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinary story of Job a man who suffered pain uh, far beyond any of us uh, could imagine, and yet a man who was so faithful to continue to walk with you because he trusted in the end of the story.
God, may we also trust in the end of your story. God, may we each and every day have hope, have faith that this is not the end, that you've got something better for us, that you've got healing for us, that you've got restoration for us, that God, you have got joy eternal and peace everlasting for each one of your children. Let us never forget, God, that the story is still being written as we look forward to being with you for all eternity. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.